Hi there, and welcome to the Pearls from My Mom podcast. Every mom has special pearls of wisdom she passes on to her kids. In this podcast, we'll be talking about those pearls of wisdom, as well as the life lessons that our moms have passed down to us. We will be sharing to keep the legacy alive. Hello, hello, and welcome to Pearls from My Mom. My name's Jesse. I'm your host. I'm so thankful and excited that you're here today. Thank you so much for tuning in. I have a really great guest, and she is super dynamic, very interesting, and has a lot to talk about today. So her name is Dr. Araceli Lopez Arenas. We can also call her Dr. Chelly because she does have two parts to her professional life that she is just recently trying to uh, mesh together. So the first part is that she's a mental health care provider. She's a psychotherapist. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk to her is because you know, when you lose a loved one, uh, a lot of people do, you know, if you haven't already sought out therapy, it's something that a lot of people start thinking that they might want to check into after losing a loved one. So we're going to talk to her about, you know, how the process works, um, you know, the stigma around mental health and how we can get rid of that. And just a little more delving into the world of, of psychotherapy and what therapy is and how it works. And then the second part to her personality slash professional life is that she is a jewelry designer and she's got a really cool story behind that. And one of the reasons that I wanted her to come on here and talk about that as well, she's taken uh, some, some jewelry that, that people have had from their late mothers and grandmothers, relatives, and turned it into new pieces. So I thought that both, both of the parts of her professional life were very interesting and I wanted her to chat about those. So just want to give a quick disclaimer. This is, you know, a podcast for entertainment purposes. I'm not a crisis prevention site or anything like that. So if you do feel like you need an immediate assistance, please seek out uh, 911 or other local mental health care emergency services. And of course, I uh, also want to let you know that Dr. Chelly is not yet a licensed psychologist. She's practicing under a licensed psychologist working towards being a licensed psychologist, but she wanted me to give that disclaimer. So all of that stuff out of the way, let's go ahead and talk to Dr. Chelly. How are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. We're excited to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to have you on. And there, it's really neat. You have a couple different parts of, you know, what you do. So I'm, I love talking to people who aren't just boxed into one thing. I think that's great. Yeah, definitely. I think that's the feedback that I get a lot is that uh, I wear many hats. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we're going to get into both parts. The first thing I want to talk about is that you are a mental health provider and you do psychotherapy. You're a psychotherapist. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So that was one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show, because, you know, I think a lot of my listeners are people who are bereaved people uh, or are anticipating, uh, you know, that they're going to be losing a loved one if they haven't already. And so I think mental health is something that's so important. And there is, I would say it's getting better, but I still think there's a bit of a stigma around the mental health care, you know, going to see a mental health care provider. Do you agree with that? Oh, most definitely. I think, um, you know, we get a really bad rap. I don't know why. <laughs> we're, we're really nice people and we really want to help uh, people in their time of pain. And there's just a lot of stigma around mental health and accessing care. And I think part of it is because people don't understand or may not have a clear understanding of what therapy is. 
Um, and so there's a lot of misconceptions out there. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of um, cultural things. So whether you're, you know, an American culture or a diverse ethnic group, um, there's different stigma that comes around it. And mainly it's this, I think it's this idea of, I can do it on my own. Mm-hmm. Uh, this idea that, oh, I don't need help. Like, oh, this is, I can handle this. I know what to do. Um, or I went to therapy a couple times and I didn't like it. I didn't like, or they didn't tell me what to do. And, and so there's a lot of different ideas of what, um, and then you talk about access to whether people have access to mental health care, whether they have insurance or not, um, co-pays and just seeing a provider can take some time to schedule an appointment. So I think there's definitely a lot of stigma. And even though we're doing a lot of great efforts to destigmatize mental health, um, I think that it's unfortunately still prevalent in our communities. Oh, for sure. And I mean, there is a, a lot to do with the access around it. And I'm, I'm pretty lucky. I live in Canada now. I am, I am American, but I do, I do live in Canada. So we have a pretty good uh, handle on some of the access issues. But, and I know a lot of places in the States do as well. But in terms of, I think you mentioned something, you said people that have never been before and, and they don't really know what it is like. So can you give us a quick rundown of what what it is that you do as a psychotherapist? Yeah, of course. And so, um, so I, I guess I didn't mention a little bit of my background. So I have my doctorate in counseling psychology and I also have a master's in public health. And um, so the first thing to, to kind of know is um, when you're acting, Accessing care is you're interviewing the therapist, right? So, um, kind of like when you're shopping for a medical provider, you kind of go see what they're like, and if you don't like them, then you switch. And so, the first thing I tell people is to shop around, look to see what kind of providers are out there, and you can find them through a simple Google search or Psychology Today for the U.S. I'm not sure if there's one for Canada, um, but definitely. Um, looking up the provider and checking out what is their theoretical orientation? What is their approach to therapy? So I think the stigma probably comes from a lot of the media out there and the traditional, the origins of psychotherapy, which are Freud, you know, and sitting on a, laying down on a couch and talking about your past. And, and it's really not that there are people that do that, that are psychodynamic but now there's um, what we're calling third wave uh, types of therapy. So we use cognitive behavioral therapy, which is where we focus on our thoughts, our feelings, uh, our, our body and our behaviors. And there's um, acceptance and commitment therapy, mindfulness, which these two are the more uh, of what I do is more of this uh, values driven psychotherapy. Um, and there's so many, so people who have trauma, there's prolonged exposure, there's a uh, cognitive processing therapy. So there's a, a lot of different treatment modalities. And so when somebody first comes into session, so I think the first step is recognizing that, hey, I might need some professional help. And seeking professional help doesn't mean that I'm weak or that, you know, it doesn't mean anything that I'm saying that it means, right? It just means, hey, you need help. Like when you need a haircut, your hair is too long, you need a haircut, you need a professional you're not going to cut it yourself. Um, 
And then going, scheduling that session is the second step. The third step is keeping that appointment. And then the fourth step is actually coming back to those sessions and engaging in the work. And when people first go into therapy, we do what's called a psychological intake. So basically the way that I explain it is you're going to the first session and I, as a therapist, just turn on the TV to your life. So kind of like when you turn on the television and you're halfway through a movie and you're like, hey, who's so-and-so? Who's a good guy? Who's a bad guy? You know, what happened? Where are we? And then we kind of just check into, okay, what happened? What are, what are some of the things that are bringing you to therapy? Why do you want to, what do you want to get out of it? Um, so we ask a lot of questions about family history, substance use, um, you know, previous treatment, hospitalization. And usually I like to ask people if, if they've never been to therapy before, what, are their, what do they know about it? What are their expectations? So I like to meet people where they're at. And for people that have had experience with therapy, then talking about what worked and what didn't work in therapy before, because I want to make sure that um, I am able to serve the client to the best of my ability. And so the first few sessions, first one or two, maybe third session, focus on just getting to know you and getting to know um, so what we call, what are our diagnostic impressions? What, what do we think is really going on? And usually people come in with something and really it's something else that's, that's driving the, the pain of, you know, why uh, they're seeking treatment. And then collaboratively, we develop a treatment plan. Um, and typically people start getting better at about 10, 12, 15 sessions. Um, and they're typically last between 45 minutes to 50 minutes, which is a standard um, clinical hour to 50 minutes. And uh, depending on the therapist, people will assign homework or they'll ask them to consider things. Um, and so it looks very different across therapists because we're trained um, uh, in different specialties. And so that will determine what the therapy session would look like. And I usually say if you have health insurance or if you can afford it, you know, pay out of pocket, check out two to three therapists, see what they're like, talk to insurance and say, hey, I'm checking out therapists. Um, I'm going to be, you know, scheduling these sessions is do you authorize that? Can you please authorize it? And then, you know, stay with the one that is a better fit for you and uh, really engage in the process because you learn so much about yourself. And, um, I think everybody should have therapy. So I just love it. <laughs> I totally agree with you. And I think a lot of the people that are listening would be, you know, people that might be interested in, in seeking that type of thing out. And I totally agree with you in the fact that maybe, you know, you should check out multiple ones if you have the means to be able to do that. Um, I know when I, when my mom first passed away, I started seeing one and we were focusing a lot on the grief and then, I stopped seeing her because I just didn't feel, I don't know, I didn't feel like it was, like you said, it didn't, it, it wasn't working or, you know. And then when I finally realized I still needed to see somebody, I found somebody who I was able to tell my whole entire life story to. <laughs> mm -hmm. And we realized mm -hmm. that it wasn't just, I mean, even, even if my mom hadn't died, there was probably stuff that I needed to work through. Mm -hmm. um, because I think everybody, you know, like has, has things from their past that they might want to work through. And so I was really thankful that 
um, you know, I didn't feel judged by her and that we were able to work through that. And I see her regularly now. And even though I feel like I'm in a really good place, I'm always really happy to talk to her. Yeah. And that's, that's wonderful. I think that's, I'm happy that you found somebody that, um, can help you with that. Um, and yeah, usually, you know, stuff comes up (laughs) and, uh, but it's only to help you, um, you in the general sense, you know, uh, cope with life better to have a better quality of life. For sure. And sometimes I'll go in thinking like, oh, we're going to talk about this one, you know, subject or something like that. And we don't even end up talking about that. We end up on a totally different tangent. And, Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's so nice that, that you can just have somebody to, to kind of, and the one that I have now, she does, sometimes she'll assign homework. Sometimes we'll do, she, she does art therapy. That's part of her thing. So, you know, I'm, Mm. I'm a creative person that works really well for me. Um, so I'm very thankful that I, that I decided to give it a second try. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sometimes you have to go for a third or fourth try. And I, I like how you said this non-judgmental piece. And when people are hesitant to come, they're like, oh, well, I have my girlfriends or I have, you know, family that I talk to. Um, but really, it's our job to be non-judgmental. You know, um, it's somebody that you can listen to that is not going to judge you and that can have an objective perspective on your life and what's going on. Um, So I think that's the unique part is that um, we're able to um, find the links, you know, how one story may seem completely unrelated to story B and C, but then my job is to see, okay, what are the connections there and how is that related to where you are in life and where you want to go? Oh, for sure. I think that's really important. And I think... I think it's it's nice to find somebody that you can be open with. It's it's critical actually to find somebody that you can be open <laughs> with, um, and to not feel, you know, like I'm not saying I have a bunch of skeletons in my closet, but like oh. I made some pretty bad decisions <laughs> in my 20s, <laughs> and I was really self conscious at first about telling that to another human being, um, mm-hmm. but I felt so much better. I got it all out there. She was like, "That's all pretty normal stuff," and then we moved on, and I. I can't tell you how much of a load, like, I felt like I was just getting that off my chest. Yeah. And, and again, confidentiality is key. So that's what our business is tied on with a few exceptions, right? So if you're planning to hurt yourself or somebody else, if there's abuse to a child, an elder, a dependent adult, or if records are subpoenaed by a court of law. So those are some of the exceptions. But other than that, you know, we're your, um, what we talk about is protected, you know, by federal law. In the U.S., we have HIPAA. Mm-hmm. And so everything is confidential. So, you know, definitely creating that safe space to really open up and talk about some of the things that, you know, you're not comfortable sharing with other people. So I think it's that's the cool thing about therapy. I think so. I think it's great. So now we got into a little bit of the how it kind of works, but why did you get into it? Was it something that you always knew that you wanted to do? That's a great question. So actually I started, um, I took a psychology course in high school and I always wanted to understand why people do the things that they do. And so, you know, from that, I was set that I wanted to be a medical doctor, pediatrician specifically, because I didn't like surgery or blood. And so my second year in, I went to UC Irvine, University of California, Irvine, um, and I worked with a, um, a, what is it? A, he did stuff with the brain. I forgot what his title was. 
So I, I started doing research with him and studying early Alzheimer's in uh, young adults. And I, he invited me to participate in the surgery. So basically he was doing language mapping. And so they had uh, this young girl who had a tumor and we did language mapping on her brain. And it was so cool. I was, I got to dress up in the gown and everything in the scrubs. Uh, so it was super cool to do that. But then I started thinking about the family and I was like, wow, you know, what is the family going through? What kind of counseling are they getting? What kind of support are they getting? And so that was my first, you know, kind of switch to it. And then in undergrad, I started taking uh, Chicano Latino studies courses, one of them including Chicano Latino families and Chicano Latino psychology, because um, I'm Latina, I'm Mexican American. And I started learning, I was like, oh, my family's not crazy, it's called culture. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> And yeah, <laughs> and then I started learning about the different health disparities that exist in our nation. So especially for Latinos and especially for immigrant and Spanish speaking, how there aren't a lot of services out there. And so I was thinking, well, I'm bilingual, I'm bicultural, I can help this community, this is my community. And so I started taking more and more courses and, um, and that's how I just, you know, I took a year off. I worked for a nonprofit agency where I discovered public health. And I was really torn about, do I do public health? Do I do counseling psychology or clinical? And I found a program that integrated both. And so I can look at, and so that's where my interest lies in now, is what kind of public health interventions can we do that are um, integrated with psychology to address the health disparities? Um, because access to healthcare, uh, multicultural appropriate healthcare, um, can be challenging sometimes. And so that's where I turn from, you know, the journey of wanting to be a medical doctor to really understanding why people do. And now that I do the work, I just love it. It's, it's incredible to see that somebody trusts you with their deepest, darkest secrets and that they work really hard in therapy because it, it is a lot of work. Um, and I think that's the challenge is that it's the issue isn't really time or money that sometimes it's that, oh, man, this is going to require me to do some work. And then the biggest thing is when you get to see it, because you don't see it always, but the transformation that people go through when people start feeling better, when they start um you know, engaging in their life in a, in a more positive way that that is the biggest reward for me. And it's, it's the thing that I love most about it is being able to see that transformation, to be able to say something or connect something that just gives a person a certain insight that they're like, that is totally shifts the way that they engage with the world and themselves. And so that's, that's kind of how I got started and why I love what I do. I think that's amazing. And you sound really, really passionate about it. And I think that, you know, your community is definitely lucky to have you. It's, um, it's tough, because, you know, you do have to do a lot of work. <laughs> and, <laughs> yes. and people do think and I thought I was like, I'm strong, I'm smart, like I can do this by myself. And mm -hmm. I really didn't know how unable I was to handle it by myself. I really did need somebody to kind of help direct me into that right way. And like I said, something to be said for just getting it all out there and having somebody 
just reaffirm that I'm not crazy. Like you said, you know, oh, that's my culture. It's not, we're not a crazy family. Like, and then, <laughs> yes. you know, having somebody tell me like, no, you're not crazy for feeling like that. Like that is a thing and people feel like that and it's fine and we're just going to work through it. And I think that's the most helpful thing. And I'm so happy that you're out there doing it for people. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Just normalizing the process. Like, look, you're not crazy. Okay. There's no such thing as crazy. Mm-hmm. That's just the label that we put. And, uh, and it's also reinforced by media and, and you're not alone. And I think that's the biggest thing that I see, especially with group work. Um, if, if people can do group therapy and processing therapy, oh my God, that's so awesome. Uh, because what you find out is that you are not alone. There are other people that are going through this, but because we're scared, because we're ashamed or we feel guilty or whatever kind of label we want to assign to it. Um, we don't get help and we think it's just us and that we can, you know, just, just get over it, you know, and that, that doesn't work. So, um, yeah. And especially depression, depression affects all of us. So it doesn't matter where you live, geography, how much money you make, how much education you have, you know, whether you're black, brown, blue or purple, you know, depression will affect us at one point in our lives. And uh, the cool thing about it is that there's treatment and there's also uh, medication for it, which is a whole other story. Um, But definitely um, there are evidence-based treatments. So that means it's been backed by research, research and research, and it shows over and over that these uh, therapies work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think that's, that's a great point. I think you know, you mentioned something that kind of brought up something in my mind when I when I wasn't sure about needing to see a therapist. So when I wasn't sure about what to do um, and I was kind of thinking I could do it by myself or maybe I should just cheer up, you know, mm-hmm. or like maybe. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, sometimes I'd, I'd read things and it's like, you know, all you need to do is go outside without your shoes on and you'll be fine. Or like you need to eat a salad instead of eating, you know, something else or like you mm-hmm. read things where it's like there are people in society that are firmly against therapy or medication for some reason. And, Mm -hmm. and they feel like, you know, Oh, you can fix whatever's wrong with you. But I think there gets to a point where you like, you can't even get to that point. Like I couldn't even go outside (laughs) to, to have my shoes off outside. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. For some people. So the grief turns into depression And for some people, they can't even get out of bed or even take a shower. You know, it's, it's that severe. So when, when it starts happening like that, that's when you definitely need to seek professional help. But, um, yeah, so, so, and I think that's part of the stigma, this whole, um, culture of you can do it on your own and independence and, um, yeah, you know, there, yeah, some of those things work. So I say, okay, if that's working for you, definitely keep doing it. We want to make sure if you're exercising, if you're being mindful, if you're doing barefoot walks, that's great. Keep doing it. Or if, you know, some people are spiritual and religious and they seek their uh, religious community, that's great too. Keep doing that. So it's not that therapy is in lieu of something else that's working. So it's an addition to so we're, we're supplementing it. So more of a holistic approach um, because we want to make sure that you're doing what you're, you know, want to be doing, that you're safe. And, you know, um, so, yeah, so it's, it's it's a good point, too. For sure. Yeah. Do you see a lot of a lot of bereaved people? Do you see a lot of people who are going through grief? Yeah, I do. So I work in a hospital setting and. 
Um, one of the rotations that I do is related to substance use. And so a lot of people that come through, they, you know, they relapse or they're coping. They recognize that they've been coping excessively with drugs and alcohol, um, you know, because they want to numb the pain. They don't want to feel what they're feeling and substances are the easiest thing to gravitate to. And, and so we see a lot of comorbid, um, things like that. So substance use with, uh, depression or anxiety or trauma, um, and grief really seems to be, um, uh, prevalent, especially with, with people who experience chronic or delayed grief. So this is people who are kind of stuck in the pain that their functioning is impaired, um, they feel a lot of guilt and hopelessness, um, and they become overwhelmed by the grief. So they didn't cope with it in a healthy way to begin with because they just kind of pushed it off like, oh, I don't have time for this. Or they, you know, start working a lot and that's one way to escape. And so usually I see people with uh, chronic or delayed grief um, that um, the grief persists uh, over six months. Mm-hmm. I think that's, I've talked to quite a few people that that's something that they tried to do. That was something that I tried to do as well. Um, You know, I didn't really take the time to grieve my mom. I was in a job that required me to pretty much get right back out there. Um, It was Mm -hmm. a high pressure. I was in outside sales for a publishing company. So, you know, there was a lot of pressure. And so I didn't take any time. And then it did, it hit me like a ton of bricks like later. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was really, that was hard for me to deal with. Cause then, you know, you felt like, Oh, well it's been six months. Maybe I should be over this by now. Or so I think that's a tough thing. So what do you do for people that are grieving? Yeah, I think the first step is just talking about it. You know, um, I think it kind of comes down to avoidance in a way where people think that it, Oh, if I talk about it, then I'm going to feel worse or I can't, I can't handle my emotions. I, I just, I just can't handle it. And, and so talking about it, because the more you talk about it, the less, um, power I think you can have over you. I think that the more we avoid it, then we're just reinforcing that avoidance. And so when we do talk about it, it does get harder and harder. But if we move towards that pain, right. And if we're able to distinguish the pain from the suffering, um, so pain is inevitable. It's something that you can't really control, right? Stuff happens. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that death happened. You know, we can't change that. But the suffering is the part where we have control over. And people think that they're one and the same. But the suffering is, what we, is when we're stuck in that pain and we're not allowing it to escape. Um, and, and so being able to, to kind of move into that as scary and as painful as that might be. And that's why it takes a lot of courage. I, listeners listen to Brene Brown. Um, I don't know if you know who she is, Dr. Brene Brown. She has a famous Ted talk on the power of vulnerability and listening to shame. And I've really delved into her work and, um, it's really amazing. And, And vulnerability is, courage and strength that's not weakness and when we lean into that vulnerability when we lean into that that's where we start making different changes and be empowered stories 
um, with wholehearted lives, her research has found is that they um, they're courageous in their vulnerability. And so I think for people um, moving in that, talking about it, I think is one of the first steps um, and getting support where they need, you know, sometimes not isolating, um, seeking support groups in the community. Um, you know, if some people need to take medication, then they need to take medication, you know, and it doesn't have to be a lifetime. It could just be temporary um, just to help cope and, and be able to function in our daily lives. For sure. I think that's really important. If you if you're not functioning, you need to figure out how you can get functioning. And if you need help mm-hmm. to do that, you should definitely, definitely seek that help out. Mm-hmm. For sure. So do you have any I know this is a big ask. I usually ask this of people that are on the show and we're none of us are you know professionals. So uh, <laughs> so we get to make up our own whatever. But just like a quick snippet of advice for people that maybe are going through the grief process and, and, you know, I guess just one nugget, you don't have to give the whole everything. (laughs) Sure. Um, I think self-care, you know, uh, just thinking about it, just mindfulness and self-care. So really taking care of yourself, um, during that process and allow yourself to be taken care of. I think that's, that's the hardest part too. And then just being mindful, being present to, you know, what's going on and being able to recognize those signs that if you need professional help, um, but definitely taking care of yourself, I think would be my, my tidbit. Sure. That's, I think that's really important. So do you think we kind of touched on everything that we wanted to touch on as far as the, the psychotherapy goes? Um, I think so. Just being able to, just a quick rundown, you know, being able to distinguish the depression versus grief when grief turns into depression, addressing some cognitive distortions that we have associated with grief. So sometimes we have engaged in emotional reasoning. We think it's all or nothing. It's either black or white. We catastrophize, we minimize, we label, we personalize, we jump to conclusions. We, um, a big one is, uh, shoulda, coulda, woulda, you know, I should have done this. I should have done that. Um, which leads to pain and suffering. Um, and then one thing I wanted to mention is that a lot of people, um, so the the five stages of grief are really popular and well-known. And one thing that in my work I came across that um, I don't know, at least the people that I've worked with haven't really come across it, is the seven R's of grieving. And so people can look that up. And basically it's, you know, recognize, react, recollect, or re-experience, relinquish, retain the gift, readjust, and reinvest. And um, it's different. Uh, It's not a, they're not stages, you know, because people can go through and jump around through these, but that there are resources out there. And this is a resource too, that they can look at the seven R's of grieving um, in addition to the five stages and uh, to seek resources. So there is help out there. Um, there are professionals who do this work and, um, yeah, there's, uh, it's a process, right? So the pain might never really go away, but the intensity of the pain can definitely decrease. I think that's true. And I think I've talked about it with most of my guests, I, I believe, you know, you do see the five stages of grief and the fact that they're labeled stages is kind of a tough thing because you think mm-hmm. like, oh, OK, well, I guess I, I had my anger thing. So I guess I'm on to the next thing or 
Um, but then you can go right back to the first thing and, you know, like it, it, right. mm-hmm. it's not linear by any means and they're not really stages because they kind of happen. And so I think seeing that diagram to me was a bit frustrating because I did feel like, yes. yeah, mm-hmm. like I was like, I guess I'm not normal. I guess everybody else right. does it like this. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's one of the um, critiques of, of that model. Um, and that's why I like the seminars of grieving a little bit better because you know, people can go through these different um, processes um, and it's not linear. And also understanding that there is no right or wrong way to grieve, you know, to grieve. Um, that people are different and we all have different histories. We all have different stories, um, depending on the nature of the relationship with the person. Um, so some people had great relationships with their moms. Some people had, you know, not so great and somewhere in between. And so there, it's a very personal experience and there's no, like, um, this is where you should be, you know, at, at this time, at this timeline of her passing, you know, it's, um, and so the other part, I guess a tidbit, you know, in thinking about this is self-compassion is being compassionate with ourselves and being kind to ourselves during this process. I think that's really important. I'm glad that you said that because it's, and it's tough. It's not the easiest thing to have compassion for yourself. Yep. (laughs) Yep. We can have, well, we have all of it for somebody else, right? Or we're very compassionate towards others. Mm -hmm. Um, But when it's turned inward, that compassion, that same compassion that we have for, for others is what we should practice for ourselves. And that's really challenging. Um, but we can get there. Oh, I think that's really important. That's great. Well, thank you for sharing all of that stuff. Now, we're, I want to talk about the, your, you know, your, you've got the duality between your, your psychotherapy and your jewelry making. Um, so I definitely want to get to the jewelry making because I think that's so neat that you do both of those things. But we talked a little bit before thank we you. started recording. And we talked about, you know, it is a show about about moms and you are lucky enough to still have your mom, which you you totally recognize that that was a that was a great thing. But I don't know. Do, I, I usually like to ask everybody, do you have any pearls from your mom or any? It doesn't have to be like a phrase or anything, but just maybe something that she's taught you and and that you continue to to live on with her. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm really grateful to still have her with me. Um, and we got a bit of a scare about a year ago. Um, so she fainted at my sister's wedding and, uh, then turns out she has a heart condition. She needed a pacemaker. So that, you know, her mortality was really present with me and it's definitely changed the way that I've chosen to, you know, develop our relationship, um, while we still have each other. And I I was sharing with you, you know, the pearl of wisdom. I don't have really a phrase per se, But my mom is an immigrant from Mexico, and uh, she's been here for over 30-something, however old I am. And uh, and, uh, she's a U.S. citizen, and so she traveled from Mexico to the U.S. for better opportunities for herself than myself. And I feel that I've engaged in a parallel migration, meaning that I went to graduate school in Texas, and I went by myself. Um, and I didn't have any family, friends or any, you know, anybody there. And I remember my first year, I was really feeling lonely and I was really feeling homesick. And, you know, I called her, I was crying. I was like, I want to go home. And, and I just felt that nobody understood how I felt. And she told me, Mija, I know exactly how you feel. That's exactly how I felt. 
felt when I moved to the U.S. And that was so comforting. And so she's always been like this pillar of strength. She's always supported my education, which is why I added her maiden name to my last name, um, the Arenas part. And, um, you know, she's supported me throughout my graduate program. She was my research assistant, and now she's helping me with the jewelry. Um, So she's helping me at farmer's markets events. And so I think that pearl of wisdom is just never give up and just, um, you know, be strong and that, you know, you'll get through it. This, the sense of ganas, the sense of, you know, a desire to pursue your dreams and your aspirations. Um, so never giving up on your dreams, basically. I think that's great. I think, and it's, there's something really comforting knowing that your mom has done something that you are trying to do. You know, like my mom moved from Pennsylvania to Colorado before I was born and it was a big trek and, you know, knowing that she survived it and she thrived through it helped me in my move from Colorado to Canada. Mm-hmm. So I think there's something really comforting knowing that, that, you know, if she did it, you can do it too. Right, right. Yeah, definitely. So she helps you with this jewelry. So let's, let's talk about your jewelry business. How did this get started here? Yeah, so the name of the business is Sui Generis Jewelry, and that's S-U-I G-E-N-E-R-I-S, jewelry. And I spell it because it's really hard to pronounce sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so the word, when I first, I first started doing this just as a hobby, and this was back in about 2005. And I wanted to pick a name that said my jewelry was unique. And so I did a little Google search and, you know, definitions and sui generis came up. It was available. And I was like, perfect, because it's Latin for unique, one of a kind, a class of its own. And how it really started is I just started, you know, I've always been crafty and I've sucked at everything else. (laughs) I've tried ceramics, I've tried painting, everything. And jewelry, I just, you know, had a talent for it. And so when I went to graduate school, I worked for a nonprofit and um, people were like, hey, why don't you just open up a little thing and you can help generate funds to go to graduate school? So I did. You know, I I made enough to help me make the move from San Diego to Texas. And then while in graduate school, I got commissioned to make um, jewelry pieces, you know, for Mother's Day or gifts, anniversaries. Or, you know, people would say, hey, can you fix my necklace? And so it was always there. Like I had the domain and I was just paying for it, but, you know, I didn't, it wasn't a business. And it wasn't until, um, so from Texas, I moved to Hawaii to do my internship, uh, my clinical work. And then I moved back to San Diego to finish the dissertation. And I found myself not being able to find work for about six months. So I had the master's in public health and almost the doctorate. And I was overqualified for a lot of jobs. That's the feedback that I kept getting, that I was overqualified. When I was like, I don't care. I just want to work. I just want to pay my bills. <laughs> and, uh, and then I was underqualified because I wasn't licensed yet. So in one of those moments of, you know, you can't help, like you feel like a victim and you start going through all these negative thoughts. And I was like, okay, Like, what can I do? What do I know how to do? And I remembered that I'm really good at jewelry making and that actually people bought stuff for me. And I was like, okay, well, I've always been dreaming about starting my own business. When I was in graduate school, I kept dreaming about it. I pinned like countless, you know, things. And, um, and so I said, all right, well, 
now's the time. What better time to do it now? So I, you know, went down to the city office and I made it officially a business. And so I went around to different farmers markets, different events throughout San Diego, and I made my online store. And really the money that I gathered was basically to help me pay for my, to finish my doctorate degree. So, um, and so people liked that because I had a little sign and at first I was embarrassed, but then people liked the story and I was like, oh, okay, like this is cool. Um, and so basically I cash flowed the end of my degree through my jewelry business. And so that made me really think about, um, I've always been in, in like in service of others. And so I decided that I wanted to start a scholarship. And so my jewelry is tied to a scholarship named Funded, P-H-U-N-D-E-D. And it's a scholarship for first-generation uh, doctoral trainees who are looking to finish their, um, their degrees to help address the mental health needs of our, of our nation and underserved populations. And so what was really cool and where I connected with you in from what you do with your podcast was that I thought it was really special when people would reach out to me and say, Hey, you know, my mom passed away and I have this necklace and I don't know what to do with it. I don't want to get rid of it, but I don't want to wear it because, you know, it's either outdated or, you know, whatever different stylistic preferences. And so they would, they would ask me like, can you do something with it? And I was like, yeah, sure. So it, it was really an honor to be able to have this piece this meaningful piece of jewelry from this person and to be able to repurpose it to something that they could wear um, on an everyday to day basis, something that was special to kind of honor and remember um, that loved one. And so uh, that's one of the, the coolest things about my business and being able to integrate the two, because that's what I'm working on right now is integrating the mental health with jewelry um, and help destigmatize mental health. Um, and so that was really cool. And so it's just kind of evolved and I'm really excited to see what it looks like next. Um, but yeah, that was really cool to be able to, to do that and make people happy through jewelry. So I didn't think that was possible, but it can. I think that's a great story that there's so many elements to it that are just so cool (laughs) to me. Yeah. (laughs) I think there's hope for people like I'm one of those people too that like I'll start something and then I'll like buy the website (laughs) and I like well that's how pearls for my mom was like I sat I bought it and I like kind of had you know I was kind of paying for the website and I kind of had something up but I didn't really do anything with it and then finally I was like you know what just get out there do it do your thing. Yeah. Yeah. You just have to do it. Yeah. Cause it was sitting there for like seven years and I kept paying, I kept getting mad every time I paid for it, but I didn't want to give it up because I knew it would become something. And so, yeah. And it's just, sometimes you just have to do it, you know, just, just go ahead and just start and, you know, not be afraid of, cause that was my biggest thing, right? Like, Oh, what are people going to think? And you know, how do I keep the two? And so for a long time, I kept the two identities separate. That's why you know, I go by Dr. Chelly because that's associated with the jewelry. But then I worked really hard to build my professional name in my field, which is Dr. Araceli Lopez Arenas. And so where I'm at right now is figuring out how to integrate the two. So I want to thank you for the opportunity to be able to do this with your podcast today. 
Oh, I'm so glad. I think it ties in beautifully. And I, I'm, I can't wait to see what you're going to do tying the jewelry into the mental health. And I know what you mean about, I felt bad when I first started this because I was like, I don't want anybody to think I'm trying to capitalize on my mom passing away because that is the, like, yes. I would trade anything in the world to have her back. So it's not, that's not it, you know, but, but the thing is, is that it happened. And I have mm -hmm. to figure out myself how I'm going to get through it. And this is something that's been wildly therapeutic for me for some reason, just talking to others, knowing that I'm not alone. And then having people mm -hmm. tell me that I've helped them, you know, just just by talking about it. So I know what you mean with that. And I'm glad that you're out there doing it. And I'm glad you're going to, going to integrate them both. Thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. So I feel pretty great about our conversation. I feel like we've we've touched on many things. Do you think that there's anything we left out? Anything we need to say? Uh, no, I think we did a pretty good job in covering everything. And again, I'm open. You know, if people, if some of your listeners have questions, you know, they can feel free to reach out to me, um, and I can help in any way I can. Um, but I think definitely the idea of getting help, you know, it doesn't mean whatever our thoughts are saying that they mean. Um, so if it can help, then that's a, therapy is really cool. <laughs> so it's nothing to be scared about or wary about. It is really, it's all the kids, all the cool kids are doing it. And I will, I'm definitely like a, a testament to like, I'm much better now that I have done it, uh, that I'm still, like I said, I'm still actively doing it. And mm -hmm. I highly, highly, highly recommend it. So if people do want to get in touch with you, Dr. Chelly, how would they do that? Yeah, so I am uh, available on LinkedIn. So people can look up my full professional name, um, Araceli Lopez Arenas. Um, people can also look through me through my jewelry. So uh, through my jewelry site, sweetgenerousjewelry.com. I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Um, so people can you know, send me an email, uh, as well through, through the sites. Um, yeah. And, you know, I'd be happy to, to talk to people about what I do and see how I can help. That's super cool. I'll put all those links in the show notes as well. But, uh, for now, I think we'll leave it there. I just want to thank you so much for coming on and explaining, you know, kind of how it works and, and, uh, explaining your story. I think it's all really cool. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks to Dr. Chelly for coming and talking to us today. She's great. And she sent me all kinds of links to different websites that can help and articles. And so I will definitely link those in the show notes. And I hope that you got a little bit out of that. And if you haven't yet gone to see a therapist or tried out some type of therapy and you think you might want to, I really hope that you do go try it out. And if you've tried it out and, you know, just as Dr. Chelly said, maybe you had a bad experience or you didn't feel like you got enough out of it, maybe try a different one. I'm a huge advocate for seeking the therapy that you need for mental health because it's really important to take care of yourself. And I can't tell you how much better I've felt after having somebody to talk to. So I certainly hope that this helps somebody out there. Now, if you want to support the show, you can go and you can check out all the things that we have on social media. Go to the website at www.pearlsfrommymom.com and check out all the links there. I'll be putting up some new blog posts, tutorials, recipes, all of those kind of things. And, you know, if you really want to join the conversation, I've got a Facebook group. It's very small right now, but I would love to have you in there and we can start talking more about, you know, our moms and what's helped us getting through the grief. 
and you know other fun things too so hopefully we can start sharing recipes and just special stories from our moms so you can do all of that by checking out the website if you want to get in touch with me you can also email me my name's jesse which is j-e-s-s-e and my email is pearlsfrommymom at gmail.com and of course if you want to support the show you can check out the links on patreon Uh, all that stuff is on the website but you know what for now I just want to thank you for coming and listening today and of course keep sharing to keep the legacy alive